Before this episode begins, I wanted to let you know that we're starting a new support group for adoptive parents called Aptitude. It's for adoptive parents and foster parents who are facing adoptions challenges. Please find our website at safehomefamilies.com aptitude. Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I am Beth Cyberson. I'm an adoptive mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with drug addiction and mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. In this episode, I'll be talking with an adult adoptee, Rebecca Autumn Sansom, who is a strong advocate for adoptee voices. She's recently produced a documentary film called Reckoning with the Primal Wound, which juxtaposes her own powerful adoption story with the wisdom of Nancy Verrier, who wrote The Primal Wound, the book that is considered to be the adoptee's Bible. Rebecca lives in Ithaca, New York, and in addition to her work as a filmmaker, she also owns Blonde Records and Blonde Artist Management, where she focuses on artists who have traditionally been marginalized in the music industry, women, non-binary people, and people of color. You will love Rebecca's energy as she shares her story with us. Welcome to Safe Home, Rebecca. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Beth. It's an honor to be here. Great. Love your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I loved your film. I've seen it all the way through twice now. And I also loved the book. It was based on The Primal Wounds. It had a huge impact on me about five years ago when I read it. And I was like, what? It really woke me up to adoption trauma. So how did you get Mm -hmm. the idea to merge your story with Nancy's book? How did that happen? Did you already know Nancy already? How did that occur? Oh, yeah. I did not know her, but like you said, reading the book kind of shook me, of course, and um, was the first time I'd heard an alternate narrative about adoption. Mm-hmm. And that was huge. Uh, of course, growing up, it was just not a thing we talked about, but adoption is love. And Yeah, you were chosen. You know, it's all good. Mm-hmm, all those <laughs> societal so platitudes. Lucky. <laughs> so, um, to hear that maybe I would be experiencing grief and loss from like breaking my lineage was huge and explained a lot of who I was. And then I'm a filmmaker and a couple of adoptees in my family were on the struggle bus four or five years ago. And I really wanted them to read the book, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't happening. You know, it's hard to get anyone to read something that they don't pick up themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I like to do and have done with my other films is um, bring kind of academic work to another audience. So if you're not going to read like these studies on passenger rail, I made a movie about like passenger rail and high speed rail. Wow. And like highlighted this awesome work that you're not going to see unless you read academic journals. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. So it made sense to me to try to bring the primal wound into another medium into film. That is so great. Cause there's a lot of people that just don't read. They're, they're not yes. big readers. <laughs> Increasingly. Uh-huh. And primal wound is no walk in the park. It is a, oof. it's, it's not technical and difficult to read, but it's difficult emotionally to read. And yes, and it hits you. And so I can imagine, although I really think people should read the book too, but your film will bring the book to a much wider audience and it makes it easier to digest maybe because it's shorter. It only takes, mm-hmm. what is your film, an hour and a half? 
Yep. So I really think you're going to get the information out there. And then people will be like, well, I want to read this book now after seeing Nancy in the film and wanting to go deeper and, uh, you know, people that might wake up and they call it getting out of the fog, right? Mm-hmm. When adoptees or adoptive parents, as the case may be, realize, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm glad that you're saying that as an adoptive parent. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to hear what adoptive parents think about it, because I did leave. I mean, my parents are in the film. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that adoptive parents have definitely do have a seat at the table. A, a lot of people think adoptees should be centered in the narrative of adoption. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with yeah, that. But definitely. I also think that... Um, Adoptive parents were misled and have a seat at this table to talk about preconceived notions that they were led to believe about adoption and Absolutely. Um, had no idea what they were getting into. So, yeah, totally. I, from my own experience, I had zero support as far as I, I was infertile, and that's why we went. To, toward adoption because we wanted a kid and but no one helped me say Beth maybe you should really grieve your infertility first (laughs) maybe you should look at that nobody said you know what we're handing you this child and he might have some you know difficulty at different stages and you might want to look into getting him some help with this no it was just like here you go have fun and we just felt so good about ourselves and we thought okay we've got our family Joey's got us we have him it's all hunky-dory so I did not get the support, but I, that doesn't mean I don't still feel really guilty. I'm, I constantly struggle with it. That's one of the reasons we made this podcast and why I bring people like you on and talk about adoption as much as I can, because I really want that narrative of, oh, adoptees are just lucky and they got chosen. I want that to, uh, to go away. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we both are on the same page with wanting to prevent as much suffering and pain as possible. And that's certainly what I want to do. And that's why I keep having ideas of ways to get adoptees off the struggle bus. So when we have like a screening, I'm totally dedicated to giving 10% of the proceeds to an adoptee, to two adoptees, or maybe I'll start doing three. I don't know. Uh I just love it so much. And then they have to commit to self-care with those funds. I think that's such a great, a great way to encourage adoptees to take care of themselves and, and, and give them a little piece of it. You know, it's like, Oh, that's such I don't a nice think thing. people realize how many adoptees, adult adoptees are on the struggle bus or, yeah. or on and off it. And I keep using that term, but I just love it. And it really resonates with me. And just like, if you aren't set up to know, like, okay, my parents didn't, I don't even know. Maybe they were told that my brother's birth mom was an addict, but they just thought that doesn't a hundred percent mean he's going to be. So let's never, ever address it. So your brother was adopted as well. Yes. But he's not your biological brother. Right. Right. Same thing. Like my parents had infertility issues and adopted, you know, because that's the perfect solution. Yeah, I know. Uh, And when is your film screening again? My film is screening again on February 26th. Very good. Soon. Yeah, it'll be uh, next week when this airs. Yeah. And I actually love options. So after the first screening that we hosted in January, I realized that maybe watching it in community wasn't the best thing for some people. Mm. So you can rent it this month um, and I will send you like a 24 hour link that you can watch on your own. And then you can still come to the screening that we do that Nancy will be at and 
we're going to do breakout rooms <gasps> instead of oh, nice. like a Q&A with all the people because I think that could be better too to like a little smaller, group. smaller mm-hmm. more intimate, maybe more direct um, and productive rooms with cast members, mm-hmm. including myself and Nancy and some other people who are in the film. Yeah. And the last one, your birth mom was there, which was Yeah, awesome. Jill will be there again. Yes. I think she's always insightful. Yeah, she was. she's amazing in that. Just all the healing that you and she have done together with your relationship and with yourselves individually. It's just really remarkable watching the two of you. And then, of course, I was always watching your, your mom, your adoptive mom, mm-hmm. and throughout the film. And she... She was not super happy to be in the film, it seems like. But she said yes, eventually, right? Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> But she wasn't at the Q&A. But I, I can totally understand, you know, I'm sure it's really mm. difficult for her. How has that been with her after you put oh, out the film? Yeah, it's interesting because it's still a thing. And I forgot that making a film would be a lot of triggering and processing that I would have to go through with everybody after. Sure. And it's not even out, out, but like, and maybe it's better that it's coming out gradually. Yeah. Because just not having people want to come to the Q and a or be supportive is triggering to me. And yeah, like Jill said, she would come to a Q and a in August and then didn't because like, the day of just couldn't do it and I was trying to be understanding like yeah of course if you don't feel comfortable don't do it but then I said a really like irreverent joke at the Q&A like Jill didn't come but I'm kind of used to her abandoning me oh (laughs) and no one laughed oh (laughs) um but she she was actually there she was just a a black square with Uh her name Uh and I thought that she would jump on to defend herself when I Uh said that but she didn't Cause that's how I, I don't know, was, that's how I dealt with it, which yeah. was really, um, kind of dark humor, uncomfortable kind of, for yeah, everybody yeah. else. Yeah. And I got in trouble from the moderator afterwards, but, um, <laughs> I realized that that's going to happen to me. Like I'm going to, who knows what I'm going to say <laughs> if I'm triggered and like, oh yeah, well the film is very deep into your own pain. And so geez, and everybody's pain. I mean, this whole story there's some there's some delightful moments and there's some definitely some joy in it, but it's mostly pain. Would you say it's a lot of pain <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, and a lot of yeah. things that people would not think about that are pain. One of the strongest images for me in the film was you were at a reunion of your birth family and meeting all of these people and they were so loving to you and group pictures and everything. And then you took yourself aside with your camera and said, I'm here. And I feel so alone and I feel like, like, I think you said no one wanted, no one wants me even here or something like that. It was the realization that you still had that emptiness inside, even though now you're meeting your birth family and they're warmly accepting you. Mm-hmm. And do you want to know what triggered that? Yes. <laughs> um, this is like a question. I wonder why people don't ask in Q and A's, but there's like a lot that could, we could go sure more into because yes that was great everybody was nice it was fun and then I saw my sisters Claire and Candace leave with my sister-in-law soon to be sister-in-law so these are your birth sisters yeah biological sisters and I asked Jill where they were all going together you know Uh yeah yeah (laughs) and she was like oh 
okay, so, because the wedding, this was in the summer and the wedding was in February. Uh, so yeah. I wasn't even thinking about the wedding or who was going to be in it yet at all. And then she was like, oh, they have a, a bridal shower tomorrow morning. Oh. So they're all spending the night together oh. in Cincinnati. And then they're going to go to it in the morning. And I was like, oh. I don't know. It just hit me in a way that I was totally unexpected. It was the first time that yeah. I felt it's, I'd been in reunion with Jill for like eight years at that point. Oh, wow. So I thought I was good. Like uh-huh. that nothing would uh-huh. <laughs> happen. That I, it was just this perfect reunion. Uh-huh. And then, um. I, it was the first time that it was like, okay, you're not really Christopher's sister. Of course, you're not going to be in the wedding or invited to any of this, oh. even though you've been in the family longer than the bride to be. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> oh, that must have been so painful. And they had no idea, I'm sure. No. And like, they've all seen the movie and they let it all be in there and they understand that like, yeah, yeah. yeah obviously didn't mean anything by that. Yeah. And I'm like, of course, like why? You don't have to. Yeah, yeah ask me to be in the wedding that's crazy presumptuous and but at the same time it's hitting me for the first time that I am not really where do I fit in like another adoptee says in the movie yeah you're not in that family exactly and you're not in your other family exactly it's just like this middle ground that must be so hard to navigate well yeah but it ended up being like a great confessional for the film yeah yeah it was it was such a juxtaposition it really hit me and it's just it's just like reunion doesn't fix it either does it reunion being you know reunited with your birth family it doesn't like boom everything's good now it doesn't it probably complicates things even worse and you had a good reunion it sounds like yeah and I'm not in reunion with my birth father so I don't know like that could I can see that going a lot of the time there's a failed reunion uh, yeah and people are even like well you and jill's could still fail i'm like okay thank you but <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> i realized that like yeah it's yeah tenuous it's all just out. people and people in pain and people that that made decisions a long time ago when they were in pain and oh my gosh but one of the things that's helpful and so it's great that you do a podcast because I think listening to podcasts together, mm-hmm. like when Jill and I listen to podcasts together, we can't, it, I mean, it takes us like five hours to get through one because we're just stopping it <laughs> every five minutes to talk about things that come up that we didn't think of. Oh, so nice. I actually think that that's a good tool to maybe fast track oh. getting through all these hard hey, issues. So are you on the phone and listening to one of you? No, like we did go on a road trip because oh. the film got into the Norwalk Film Festival and we could not figure out flights. So we we're like, huh. road trip. let's just drive. How far away do you live in a, wherever you I live mean, normally? So we left from Mount Vernon, Ohio and drove to Connecticut. So it was like nine hours. Oh, wow. So she lives in Ohio. Trip. You live in New York. We took two days. Yes. So we were only six hours apart oh, okay. by car. Okay. So not like crazy and we had the time because it was over christmas break and um nice. we hadn't gone on a road trip like that together but that's always really good for bonding and yeah, yeah. working stuff out so i was glad that she was down to do that another thing that might yeah that martha carroll would never do i don't think like we've never really gone on a road trip together martha's your adoptive mother My, yes who is like the prototype mom she's Amazing. I thought it was so cute because your birth mother loved your parents' little marketing packet at the adoption agency because she was an, an entertainer. 
like a dinner party kind of entertainer. Oh yeah, right? like home ec, like a Martha Stewart. Yeah, yeah, Martha Caroline Masters in home ec. Oh really? Um, <laughs> yeah, and Jill, yeah, never grew up cooking or any of that. Yeah. So yeah, she says that like what was attractive were the things that she didn't have growing up or yeah. couldn't offer. Yeah. I, I don't know that all the dinner parties helped you. I don't know. <laughs> it seems like that was the least of your worries is is uh, how many dinner parties your family hosted. But it's just interesting because your, your birth mother was really young and she was making choices. Who knows how those things come up? When How old was she, 18? 19, yeah. 19, yeah. How, what 19-year-old knows what's really important? And she says a young 19. Yeah. You know, like very immature. Yeah. Is there going to be another film with all the other things that you <laughs> wished you could have put in this film? I know it could be about um, my reunion with my birth father. Are you working on that or is that happening? No, 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 okay. no. I can't even. My dream would be to like Netflix is like, don't you want to do a series on oh. this? And then I could highlight other adoptees stories, yeah. like a 12 part series. That's the dream. Oh, so hang on a second. You're talking to Netflix about this. No, oh. I'm not. Oh, that's like what I want. to. Have. I'm trying to manifest that. Oh, okay. I have a contact there. Netflix wants to slap their name on everything. So when they heard that it was already done, oh. they weren't like interested. But my new goal is they're not going to say no if there's a ton of demand. Yeah. So you're getting your uh, adoptee army on board. Is that what you're calling yes, it? Yes. I'm trying to make it go viral. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes I get lost in the bubble, you know, of people who think like me and forget that. Yeah. There are many, many people that don't think like you. Who I don't. Yeah. I think there's more. I think that's still the majority. Way more. I'm pretty sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. From people I talk to on my end of things, I, I'm the only one that thinks the way I do, except for the people I've talked to that I've, uh, or handed them the book here, read this book. I, I think people are still completely blind to what adoption does to people. I, oh gosh, so many healthcare providers. When I've taken Joey to different places to try to get him help, I'd say, listen, he was adopted by me at seven months old. He has major attachment issues. And I know that most of his mental health and addiction issues are related to his adoption trauma. And they'd be like, oh, he was only seven months old. He doesn't remember that. I'm like, what? Ah, I couldn't believe it. I, I, and this was the psychiatrist that was telling me this. I was like, are you kidding me? Where did you get your degree from? Seriously. Because that pain when you're seven months old is absolutely there. It's just not in your words because you don't have words yet. So it lives in your body. It lives in your soul. It lives in your in your memory that you can't even remember, but it is certainly there. And it came mm-hmm. out for my son as soon as he hit puberty and adolescence. Identity issues came up. He's Asian and I'm white. And boom, we're off to the races. So wow. it was all fine, 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 fine. I thought, oh, we're such good adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. We did such a good job. And then bam, everything just fell apart. God. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it was for me and my brother too. Yeah, did it, was it adolescence when it hit you? Oh yeah, yeah. That's how, as I understand, that's when it happens because that's when you're trying to figure out who you are. It happens to everybody, yeah. right? Everybody falls off their rails in adolescence to some or degree. Don't, and then it's like if you have the resilience, because 
obviously there are lots of adoptees who never do fall off the rails, but I think there's more that do. And then some do later, not even in adolescence. Yeah. And I think some never having the support. I don't know. How did you fall off the rails? What did it look like for you? Uh, Whatever you're um, willing to tell us. (laughs) Yeah. Partying and rebellion. Yeah. Like skipping school kind of probably hanging out with the wrong people. But there was a lack of trust, too, from mm. my parents that I never felt was there. They were pretty strict, right? Yeah, they were really quite strict, which I understand, but I don't... I mean, I have a Frankie Joe now, and I don't know yeah. what I'll do yeah. when she's a teenager. She's like four? Four. four. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And um, my friends with older kids are like, it gets harder. But, yeah. you know, you, you still want to be like... I'll cross that bridge yeah, when yeah. I get there. Yeah. But I don't know if like just taking the stance of never trust a teenager is the way to go. Yeah. Because then I felt like nothing I said, yeah. even when it was the truth, was believed. So I just stopped telling the truth. Yeah, you sort of give up. I'm like, well, why even try now? Yeah. I- yeah, like I've got to get out of here. Why is my curfew 9 p.m.? Like, got- And so it was just mostly rebelling against strictness Uh, and Um, your brother had a similar experience when he was a teenager he was introduced to alcohol at 14 and then Mm -hmm. just drank every day a lot from then wow until a couple years ago when we almost lost him wow and now he's been sober for i think almost two years wow congratulations to him thank god yeah oh but my mom was planning his funeral like it was bad. I, I bet. I can imagine that because I've done, I've been to my son's funeral a hundred million times in my head. It's so scary because especially yeah. nowadays, whatever you're using, well, maybe not alcohol, but any street drug, you can be laced with fentanyl and then it's all over and then, or alcohol is certainly able to kill people very easily. So it's, it's terrifying for those, those of us around people who are addicted. That's for sure. But I, I empathize so deeply with my son because fuck, I'd probably want to use drugs too. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, something, give me something to ease this pain. His pain is so intense and, and Mm -hmm. deep and primal, like the, the title of her book, the primal wound. When something is primal, Mm -hmm. it's like, I believe Joey's issues started before he was even born because his birth mother was very, very young. And it was clear that she was not going to keep him. And you know, well, you were pregnant when you were making this film, you know, you put your headphones on your baby bump mm-hmm. so they can hear the music. And obviously people realize that babies in utero can feel stuff and you talk to them and you, you know, take care of your health and all that. Well, okay. If you realize that in utero is important, guess what? My kid got nothing in utero. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was very traumatic for his birth mom. So yep. how can that not affect someone? I know it's weird because there are studies about it the other way. And so, I mean, it is hard to like scientifically corroborate the primal wound, like my mom says in the film, but no one's going to okay those kind of studies. <laughs> right. Baby. Like you can't. Right. You can't. But you're saying they have studies saying, yeah, if you talk to your baby in utero and if you're very connected, well, yeah, they have it those. Better. And you yeah. Can prove. Like Nancy's second book, Coming Home to Self. Um, is all about the neurological effects and like what happens when you break those synapses. Mm. Like the first part, I don't know if you've 
read it. I haven't read that one yet. It's uh-uh. longer and um, it came out after The Primal Wound, mm-hmm. but I thought it was fascinating. I tried to pick some things from this book too mm-hmm. to put in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like all the things about siblings and then the neuro like ah. pathways. So it, I just like hinted at that. At it. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating that Nancy herself is an adoptive mom. And it has become this adoptee's Bible. And I thought all adopted parents read it because that's, I thought everyone was like me. And uh, I no, guess right? everyone has their own experience. You know, you have your own filter. But from what you're saying, you don't talk to very many adoptive parents at all on this topic. No. I mean, a few woke ones like yourself, um, but no. And then on TikTok, it's like, whoa. Um, They're anti, like, yeah, they're anti this message. Yeah, uh-huh. it is. It is a threat to adoptive parents because they're saying, well, basically, we did the wrong thing, which I think I did the wrong thing. Not that I wouldn't adopt Joey again. Uh, not, it's not that I I'm not giving up on Joey or saying I would not adopt him again. But I I personally would not adopt again. I, mm, great. If, if I were to start all over, I would not have adopted now that I know what I know. Is that what you're, you're hoping that people will shift? Are you hoping to have fewer adoptions? Yes. Yeah. Though that's, yeah, it's hard to turn into an anti-adoption advocate and be like an activist on that because that is also very like, mm, and like Nancy says, she's not anti-adoption. A lot of people are. And I, the more I do this and talk to people though, the more I am. Yeah. But it's because you can have kinship adoptions and like there's other solutions and gosh, I don't know. Yeah, I, there's so it's so complex and there's uh, it's probably no like blanket answer. This is what everyone should do. It's it's very individual. And everyone always says, well, there are some kids that should never go back to their birth parents because they're, you know, abusive. OK, OK, but maybe don't rip them from the whole country. I'm just saying, like in my case. Joey is from Japan. Maybe don't take him away from his whole country. Maybe there's somebody in the country. Seriously, it's like mother loss and culture loss are traumatic. Huge. And then for my son, he got bullied relentlessly for being Asian. So, and yeah. that caused a lot. I mean, it caused suicide attempts. And so, criminy, just keep them. Mm. If, okay, so like if the birth parents are absolutely incapable or dead or whatever, keep them close to where their other family is or where they, the location where they are, the culture where they were born. Anyway, I don't know. That's kind of where, where I'm thinking, but I bet when you were filming this and you were pregnant with your baby and then you gave birth and all of that, did that make you really think about what your birth mother did for you? I mean, did you look at your baby and go, Oh my God, how could anyone relinquish a child? Did that hit you? Well, I'd already thought that, but yeah. And Jill was there yeah. when I gave birth. Yeah. So, and also it's just now hitting me that during that day when I was in labor and I was filming, um, <laughs> I had the camera. And so I think a disassociative thing I do and a coping uh-huh. thing I do is film. Yeah. And have a camera between me and like real Reality. life. Yeah. And I had that there then that day. So, and I was thinking about the film Yeah. in a so weird. Like what is wrong with me? But 
So I still don't know because everyone asks me that question and I'm like, not, I mean, yes, but honestly, maybe I haven't processed that. I'm sure it's very it's difficult. Like just, I don't know. Like go into this disassociative, like, how can you? How can you? Because I am obsessed with Frankie Joe. Yeah. And give her all the mommy she could want. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't. So, yeah, I cannot imagine. And Jill even can't either. If you watch the whole movie, Jill's yeah. like, what was I, you know, like, yeah. it messed her up forever. Yeah. 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 Um, she, you never get over that. Yeah. Uh, there's so much pain on all sides, on all sides. Everybody is just suffering and trying to make things work the best that they can with what they've been given, what information and what kind of cards they've been given, you know? You want to listen to people telling you what to do when you yeah. don't know what to do. And if people are telling you, you know, it's going to be best for the baby. Yeah. And when you're 19, a young 19 and you're like, okay, okay, you're right. I guess I got to do what's best for the baby. There's a lot mm -hmm. of coercion and there's a lot of money involved. I'm not sure about your birth mother. I'm not saying that. She but just realized there was money. She's like, I didn't get any of that money. Like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I know. I don't know. Her parents got it or, or she just no, didn't get no, it. No, no, no. Nobody got it. But it's like, why aren't we supporting birth mothers if there's all this money? Yeah, right. If there's money enough to pay to have your child relinquished, why don't we just pay the birth mothers to keep their children? If it's a poverty issue or if they're so young, they can't manage a job and a child and all that. There's money. Obviously, there's money because it's a huge industry, the adoption industry. Yeah. So, and that's why it's like a supply and demand thing that they're yeah. trying to figure out how to get more supply yeah. right now. And that's interesting to follow. Yeah, it's pretty dark, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It seems so obvious to people like, yeah. I don't know, us maybe. Yeah. Or adoptees. It's hard for people to look at that. But today, today covered it and um, had four adoptee voices last month. That article on today.com, which is awesome. Oh, really? It's like, you know what? Adoptees are not going to be a pawn in this, like, for these anti-choice oh. people. Like, you can't talk oh. about adoption and abortion in the same sentence. Like, it's not... You know, that's, oh yeah, that is super huge right now because uh, abortion is kind of going down. <laughs> We're going to be uh, outlawing abortion again pretty soon. And then people are like, well, just adopt. And then how do you adoptees feel about all that? What does that do for you? <laughs> like when you hear. Yeah, it's not good. And it, I'm glad that adoptees are speaking out and saying, please do not equate the two yeah. and use us as pawns because yeah. we honestly don't like being adopted. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, it is not the solution. It's not like if you can't do this, then do this other thing. No, no, no. And that's one thing I hope people get out of the film. It's like, oh, okay, let's maybe listen and examine how much grief is yeah. actually, and how many other lives are like affected yes. by adoption. Yeah. Have you ever experienced that people don't realize adopted people grow up and become adults? Do you feel infantilized? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And I think all adoptees or most adoptees know that it happens to us all the time. But then when you ask for a specific example, it's like, whoa, I don't know. It just happens mm -hmm. all the time. But I do think this is a good example. Like one of my friends that's known I was adopted, she's actually a friend who will say to me that her other best friend is adopted too and has no problems. Whenever I say anything, so to set that up, 
and she'll do things like, um, okay, we were on a work trip uh, in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and I had just had this bizarre kind of scary thing happen to me where um, someone knocked on my door and tried to, and it was a man, um, ask for to borrow my hairdryer dryer, <laughs> the hotel, Ew. and I had to say no like five times. And this person wasn't there yet, but she was on her way. And so I was calling her after the situation resolved and I like stayed in and did not open my door. And she got back like five minutes later and I called the front desk to report it because we decided that's what I should do. And while I was telling them what happened, she took the phone away from me. Mind you, she wasn't there. She didn't actually witness anything. Because I guess I was telling what happened wrong or she could do better. Oh, my goodness. And she proceeded to tell the front desk what happened to me. So that made me feel that infantilized way where, like, I can't do things correctly or probably somebody else can do better than me, even telling my own story or what something that had literally just happened to me. And I don't know if that's, like, a perfect example. I don't know if that's her personality and what she would do to anybody. That's mm-hmm. what I like wonder if we do a lot of the times. And then of course, being a woman, it's like, do I get infantilized by men or father figures because I'm a woman and not because I'm an adoptee? <laughs> but then you can really like look at examples like this and then you can't possibly know how to take care of yourself. Yeah. Let me help yeah. you. I don't know. I just think that's maybe a good example. But thanks for asking that. And I hope that people maybe check themselves if they are prescribing or patronizing an adoptee, not giving them agency to handle their own business. Because guess what? We're grown up and we can. So please stop. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like people pat you on the head and go, oh, that's so sweet. She's having trouble. Yeah, totally. But just the feeling that you're not quite equal. You're not quite grown up. Yes. Because when you think adopt adoption, you think little baby. That's, I guess that's why you, and people, you have to remember they, they grow up and then they're mommies themselves. And, you know, just all that pain just continues that. Which is why I'm so glad Nico Opper says that in the film. This is the other documentarian. Yes. Yes. Who did off and running, which is great and about transracial adoption. And so I like pointing to Avery's story. Because that's like a kind of the criticism I get is that I didn't do it on a transracial or intercountry adoptee. But it's like, well, I had to do it on my story because, first of all, like, yes, I could have done that. But my story and I don't think it's me, but I do think Jill and Frankie Joe and even Martha Carroll are like magical people. Oh, whose stories are really yeah. compelling and needed to be told. And so maybe I'm the conduit for that and Nancy's, like bringing Nancy's work to more people. No, I think yours is great because it was so personal. If you were putting the lens at somebody else's story, it wouldn't be a whole different deal. Yes. But there's probably room for somebody else to make a movie about another movie. Exactly. And I am so into adoptees telling their story in some way or another. So like just more, give us more content. And Please watch my film before you write it off. Yeah, really. Do you like it when people comment on TikTok or Twitter or whatever and haven't even seen your film yet? 
Well, that's what's happening with the criticism. So, mm. like, if some adoptees don't like adoptive parents, they're just, like, full stop. So Nancy is an adoptive parent, so <sighs> they're not going to read the primal wound or promote oh, anything that has to do with really? the primal wound. Certainly not the movie. And um, wow. I'm like, okay, there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. But I do wish you would give it a chance. Yeah. Before you do that. And also, Nancy is the sweetest, kindest person, and she's dedicated... The majority of her life to like yeah. amplifying adoptees' voices. Yeah. And she is an ally. Like, yes, she's an adoptive parent, but how many adoptive parents do you know are going to admit that they yeah. didn't know what they were doing and like that adoption is kind of like messed up? Yeah. Yeah. And she wrote that, what, in the 90s? 1993. 93. Yeah. She, she was willing to put herself out there in a big way. Right. So. I don't know, but I can understand adoptees are like, nope, not going to go there because they've been so wounded. I can understand that. Yeah, there's a lot of that, but I want adoptees to know that I'm definitely for them mm -hmm. and want more of our voices out there. That's and right. I hope Reckoning can have a bigger platform and I can be more influential just so uh -huh. I can like hype more adoptees. That's right. And like, that's what the series would be. be like, I know there's, I'm getting so many other stories. Mm. And I, I am a, same race domestic adoptee. Mm -hmm. And that's like, a lot of people can relate to that. But again, there are so many very stories, so many diverse stories ways. out there yeah. that are like jaw dropping. Like I didn't think about that. Well, the Mercer Hospital, like in Ontario or whatever, where they used to arrest women for being pregnant because they were unmanageable and then take <gasps> the baby. Like, Oh my gosh. What? I didn't know that. Oh, that's terrible. So I'm like learning all these things. I never heard of that either. Wow. Have documentaries already. Uh-huh. But I'll definitely build out the resources page on our website. And sure. Like, I love pointing to these stories. Yeah. Because I do realize you can't you know, put everything in 90 minutes. <laughs> no, no. Well, and your story was so compelling in so many different ways. But yeah, there's so many different stories, but you can't do everyone's story all at once. You just can, you have to pick one pretty much, right? And your story was really, really impactful. And I think a lot of people, maybe because it's same race domestic, you kind of checked off a couple of things you didn't have to deal with. You know, totally. so you were just able to just hone in on just the plain old relinquishment trauma. You don't have the cross-cultural stuff. You don't have the interracial stuff that adds layers. Not that it makes it worse or better, but just you just focus right in on that core piece, which I think is really valuable. Awesome. Yeah, yeah that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I told my husband that I like am just trying to microdose the general population yeah. Yeah. with a little bit of adoption trauma and he goes okay well you macro dosed them with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I know it's kind of dense but yeah that's that was the point it was just like a mild get curious and yeah. then think about what it would be like for intercountry adoptees or yeah. transracial adoptees and there's millions of books out there and other documentaries and you know uh, there's all sorts of directions people can go once they get interested or invested in this topic. I love the podcast Adoptees On. There's so many great podcasts and um, the Adopt Adoptees Connect. Is that what they Adoptees called? Connect. Yeah. Adoptees Connect. So they have a, I mean, if they don't have one in your town, you can start one. Yeah. <laughs> Hit up Pamela Caranova. Yeah. There's so many resources. I'll list some of the resources in the 
in the notes for this show. And then Amanda Baden's in the film, who is a intercountry adoptee from China and oh, an right. academic. Oh, so. yeah. Her voice was really interesting. She talked about yeah. that infantilization, too. Because her students would even still <sighs> refer to adult adoptees as children. I think that's the quote. That's right. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, my gosh. Now, okay, so Nico, in your film, all made the other documentary and has adopted an, a Black child, right? They're white. Yes. Adopted a Black child. What advice would you have for them? Oh, gosh. Well, they are... <laughs> doing it right and i i'm just in awe of nico they even made a series called the f word about it so you can watch what they've done but they are really prioritizing the birth family foster is the f word yes yes the f word is foster okay they fostered to adopt and are in touch he's not gonna not remember uh, knowing his okay. biological family because uh -huh. they prioritize that mm -hmm and like talk about it all the time so he's so, frankie joe's age though oh, so he's still really young but they're doing things the quote-unquote right way as well as they could do right yeah and there it's just simple things like um lighting a candle on your birthday for your mom your first mom and then you can talk about it at least once a year mm -hmm, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know and have a reason to mm -hmm. but they also go to like family reunions and mm -hmm. stuff in the same area yeah. so it's easier okay so what about my son he's 18 just on the major struggle bus and he is definitely aware of his adoption trauma he's worked through a lot of his early childhood struggle uh kind of subconscious stuff with uh, miguel who i talked about on the podcast very various times he has worked on some of it as soon as i read the primal wound i got an adoption therapist for myself and for him and so he is definitely aware. It doesn't make it any better because now he's like really aware of why he's traumatized. But would you suggest that I continue to try to, you know, steer him that direction or just let it go, let it come up whenever he wants? Is it better for us to keep bringing it up and say, how does that make you feel? <laughs> you know, have you thought about your birth parents? Lately? I think so. I don't know. But I do know that I, a lot of things were kept from me and that mm. was hurtful. Mm -hmm. um, and. So secrets, betrayal, like if there are secrets, that's going to lead to feelings of betrayal, which I think are more damaging. So checking in, I definitely think is good. Checking in is yes. Good. Yeah. My, my adoption therapist told me he's definitely thinking about it. You asking him a question will not all of a sudden make him think about it. No, the ruminating is there. As an adoptee, do you think about it every day? Oh, every day. I mean... Well, you did a Maybe. whole movie on it. I, I do think that what David Brzezinski says in the film about ruminating is real. So, yeah, after my parents were like, you have another mommy and daddy out there. I don't. I, something definitely shifted for me. I was four, I think. Okay. But I remember life before then a little. Oh. And then I remember then, yeah, on the walk to school, I think I would think about her and just wonder like very mild questions like did she love me yeah. and then it would just progress as you get older you know you're like wait did she love me and then, mm -hmm. like, give me a half a water bottle full of jack <laughs> <laughs> while I think about that question right. when I was 16 and I totally passed out yeah. you know yeah. I think that was the first time I drank alcohol and I don't know if it was because of that but I'm just saying like yeah. the evolution of 
that question. You can see why that and, like, would be what so it means. painful. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, you just try to. I don't want to think about that deal with anymore. That the way <laughs> that you deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I don't have an addictive personality. And I think that's the only reason, Thank God. you know, okay, yeah. quote unquote. Because yeah. people see me and they're like, well, you're fine. Mm. So what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, survival. And like, yes, making the most of the life you were given is one thing. Yeah. Like, it took me forever to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing and who I am. And like, oh, yeah. I still don't feel like I'm worth a, a salary. I don't think I've always had a hard time mm-hmm. making money or feeling like uh-huh. I deserve to be paid uh-huh. for work I do. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's very devalued. Yeah. As far as professional. Yeah. And I don't see that in like other people. Right. And that's Joey's core issue is he doesn't feel worth love. He doesn't feel worth being on the planet. Yeah. And yeah. so I can easily see how that could relate to or translate to salary. Like I'm, I'm not worth anyone paying me to do this, but you totally are. You totally are. But I, Thank you. I can understand that. But it's taking me until now. And I'm literally, cause I might as well just own it because my birth certificate's in the movie, but I will be 40 this year, you know? And I feel like I'm just now feeling like, okay, yeah. People get paid so much money to do things and they'll just take it and make it. Oh yeah. And I do feel like the movie is worth something and the reaction has been like, so it, but still I've gotten like, people don't want to pay the licensing fee. (sighs) They think it's too high. And like, I don't know. So I'm just over that. I'm like, no, if you Google licensing fees, mine's on the very low end of what the range is. Very very reasonable. So I'm still like Mm. deep, not devaluing, but I, I don't know. It's just interesting. And I think that's just what people do. Like they always try to get a deal. Yeah. They, there are people that just always want less. Yeah. They, that's probably just a negotiation tactic that yeah. I'm going to read as. They don't think what? I'm worth it. Yeah. They really don't think yeah. it's worth it. <laughs> but... Well, it's totally worth it. Uh, I <laughs> loved your film. Everybody should go see it. You can rent it this month on Eventbrite. And then we're doing the screening on February 26th. And then I'll have to come back on when it's got an actual release date. Yeah. Okay. I don't understand how films work. Where will you release it? That's what we're trying to figure out. Will it go to the theaters? That's what I want. I want a theatrical release or a streaming deal. And we're doing the film festival circuit this year to try to garner a sales agent that would help us get one of those things. Wow. Yeah. If anyone knows someone in the industry. (laughs) That's yeah. I feel like the more we do these little screenings and the more people know about it um somebody will just know and jenna is in hollywood so we're something will happen oh yes it'll get into the right hands and somebody will be like i'm taking this as far as it will go right and you'll be in theaters or on one of the streaming platforms and then everyone can see it whenever they want right so right now you kind of have to wait until uh, you have an opportunity to stream it, right? Yeah, So, but at least we can do these private screenings. I think that's awesome because I would never be able to fly to a film festival. So, you know, thanks, COVID, for making <laughs> making the I know, I'm a big proponent of options. And, like, you could watch it today if you rent it. I'll send you the link. Okay, <laughs> I'll definitely, I'll drop all the links to all the things in the description. So, and if you're listening to it after February 2022, I'll try to update the description, but just Google it. Reckoning with yes. the primal wound. Just Google it. I update it all the time. And uh, 
you can even be in the adoptee army still if Yay. there's a form on the website. That was such a huge growth thing. I was like, I'm, I can update the movie since it's not out out. Yeah. I noticed how long that was. Uh, so at the end credits, at the very, very end, uh, Rebecca has listed her adoptee army and then birth parent army. And, and like you could have this exclusive announcement on your podcast if you want, because I do have a space for adoptive parent army. No one's on it yet, but like, why not? Yeah, well, I'm on it. If you, well, you're in the real credits, but now I want to have like a adoptive parent army. Oh, oh, I see. So you're going to also wants to like, that feels like we should center adoptees in the narrative. Definitely. Agrees with the primal wound. Excellent. So anyone in the adoption triad who wants to support this message, you can get into the adoptee army. Is that what yes. you're calling it? Okay. Even an ally. <laughs> even an ally. Oh, yay. Uh, there's Why so not? many people that can hop on board here. Even if you're not touched by adoption personally, everybody knows someone who's adopted, right? So it's, it's definitely an area that our culture needs to continue to work on and think about, think critically about and think, okay, hmm, how can we do this better? And how can we make lives easier for people who have been adopted? Yes. Oh, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you'd like to talk about? No, I think that was a fun conversation. <laughs> we covered a lot, right? Do you want to plug your uh, record company at all? Oh, yeah. Um, if you like pop music, <laughs> check out Blonde Records roster. I've got M the Myth, Goldilocks, and Celeste Krishna right now. So Blonde Records, and we do the Wavy Awards, which got mentioned in the New York Times and Billboard and like the Hollywood Reporter a couple weeks ago. What are the, the Wavy, the Wavy Awards? Awards is on YouTube. <laughs> oh, okay. What is Yeah, the, you can watch the whole thing. What kind of things do you award? Uh, well, we are highlighting historically excluded talent. So mostly women, LGBTQ, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and artists of color and artists who identify with having a disability. So Nice. I love that. You're doing so many great things in the world to to highlight voices that typically have been squelched. So with adoptees and all of the people you're representing with your record company, I I appreciate Thanks. that. I appreciate all that you're doing to make life better for everybody. So oh, thank you. Yeah. Same with you. Oh, thank Thanks you. Thanks for doing a podcast about it too. <laughs> Thanks. Just trying to, you know, for me, I'm always keeping my son in mind. But you know, all the stuff that my son's dealing with. A lot of other people are dealing with too. So if if, totally. if our little corners can help, if our little corners of the world can help other people, that's great. That's a good goal. Agreed. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you all uh, for listening to Safe Home Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And please find Rebecca's film and find Safe Home Podcast on all the socials and all the places. And we are also on Patreon if you would like to support us. With just a couple bucks a month, Patreon makes it really easy. Patreon.com slash safe home. And please share this episode with anyone you know that's involved at all with adoption as an adoptee, adoptive parent, or birth parent. I'm sure they would love to hear about Rebecca's film and her story. And uh, the more we can share these stories with each other, the better. Word of mouth is the best way. So thank you everyone for listening. And Rebecca and I hope you stay, stay safe. safe.